Frank Abagnale Jr. may very well be the greatest con man in American history. He has boasted of many con jobs, including at 16 years old, logging over 2 million air miles disguised as a pilot. At 18 years old, working for a year as a supervising physician at the Cobb General Hospital in Marietta, Georgia, and a hospital physician. At 19 years old, faking a law degree from Harvard, passing the Louisiana bar examination, and then working as an assistant attorney general. At 20, teaching two full semesters at Brigham Young University, and uh, then a little bit later, posing as a social worker somewhere in Baton Rouge. At 21, he bought a house somewhere in the French countryside and planned for a long and generous retirement before being arrested and imprisoned there in Europe and then extradited to the United States, where shortly after that, he cut a deal with the FBI where he was able to help catch con men like himself. Uh, during his escapades as a young man, Abagnale boasted of forging some 17,000 checks, amounting to $2.5 million in ill-gotten gains, earning millions of dollars from fake patents, being wanted in 26 countries, and becoming the subject of a massive, years-long FBI manhunt. Abagnale's story is a reminder of how easy it is to pretend that you're someone you're not. Our text in Matthew chapter 15 is all about the dangers of pretending you're someone you're not. Sometime after Jesus miraculously feeds the thousands of people and walks on the water to rescue His disciples, He's confronted on the other side once again by the scribes and the Pharisees. If you remember the last time Jesus had dealings with this group or these groups of people, they were accusing Him of casting out demons with the power of demons. In today's text, Jesus takes the gloves off, so to speak, and He confronts these religious leaders because they're pretending that there's someone they're not. Because one of the greatest dangers to following Jesus is hypocrisy. Let me say that again. One of the greatest dangers to genuine discipleship, to following Jesus, is hypocrisy. Most of us, if we're honest, are highly tuned in to the various threats from without, whether it's persecution or cultural assimilation or something else. But I wonder if we're as aware of the threat to the church from within. 
Most of us would probably agree that hypocrisy is bad. But our goal this morning is not merely to agree that it's bad, but understand its incredible danger and work together to avoid that danger in our own lives and in our lives together as a church. With God's help, I want to ask and answer three simple questions about hypocrisy that'll make the outline for today's sermon. Question number one, what is hypocrisy? What is it? I think that this is a subject on which many Christians are confused. I've talked to many Christians, perhaps even to some of you, who think that hypocrisy is doing one thing and feeling another. So I've heard well-meaning Christians sometimes say, well, if I read my Bible when I don't feel like it, I'm being a hypocrite. I guess I should just do something else. Or if I go to church when I don't feel like going to church, I'm being a hypocrite. So I should just stay home. Let me submit to you, brother and sister, that is not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not feeling one thing and doing another. If you honor your marriage vows even when you don't feel like it, that's not hypocrisy, that's called faithfulness. If you go to work even when you don't feel like it, raise your hand if you've ever not felt like going to work. Okay, at least half of us are willing to be honest. You don't feel like going to work and you go anyways, what do you call that? Responsibility. That's not hypocrisy, it's responsibility. If you care for your little children, even when you don't feel like it, and moms, I won't make you raise your hand because your little kids might be watching you, but you don't always feel like taking care of them. But when you do that, even when you don't feel like it, we call that love. We call that self-sacrifice. Going to church, reading your Bible, the spiritual disciplines, doing those things, even when you don't feel like it, is not hypocrisy, it's obedience. Doing something even when you don't feel like it is not a sign of hypocrisy, but maturity. So then what is hypocrisy? Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees will give us an answer. Look with me starting in verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, the Pharisees, you might, re might remember, are a, a religious party within Judaism. This is an ultra-conservative, kind of far-right group of religious leaders who prided themselves on separating from anyone that didn't share their views. In fact, the word Pharisee probably uh, stems from a word that means to separate. So these were separatists. They're ultra-religious, ultra-conservative, very fundamentalist, and they separate from anybody that doesn't agree with them. A scribe could be a Pharisee, but a scribe is, is less of a religious party. It's more of a job. So if you were a scribe, your job was you were an Old Testament scholar. So you, you were a textual expert on the Old Testament scriptures. Maybe you would hand copy uh, scrolls, but your job revolved around the text of scriptures. Now, both groups, 
scribes, Pharisees. Both of them have butted heads with Jesus before. But I want you to notice now the big guns are coming down from headquarters. Right? It says these guys are coming from Jerusalem. If you look at Matthew 14, verse 34, we learn that Jesus is in a region called Gennesaret, which is about 90 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, some of us, we won't cross the bridge, right? Like, you're just not like that. That's another world over there. These guys traveled 90 miles before public transportation, before vehicles, right? They're traveling 90 miles to get to Jesus. It's not uncommon for people to travel a long distance to get to Jesus, but already, right off the bat, there's something a little ominous going on here. Why are these guys coming so far to see Jesus? Verse 2 makes it clear they came to confront Him. Look at what the text says. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, the religious elites are not concerned about physical hygiene. That's not what the question's about. The question is about religious ritual. It's about religious ritual. Uh, you may not know this, but in Jesus' day, the Old Testament was not the only religious authority for the Jew. And oftentimes, in their minds, equal religious authority was what they call the tradition of the elders or the oral law. This was the teaching of the rabbis that had been passed down for generations, and it was, it was subscribed to by the Pharisees. They were masters of the oral law. They knew these traditions, and there was all sorts of traditions about washing your hands. And it started in a good place. Uh, Exodus 30, in the written law of God, required the priests before a sacrifice to ceremonially wash their hands and their feet. Uh, it, it was meant to symbolize their purity before going to sacrifice before the Lord. But the, the tradition of the elders, the oral law, the Pharisees and the scribes said, well, you know, it's not enough to wash your hands before a sacrifice. You should wash it before you eat, too. Now, all the hygiene nuts say, yes, you should, but not for the same reasons that they were saying. They were saying, for religious reasons, you should wash your hands before you eat. And not only should the priests do it, but everybody should do it. In a book that's called the Mishnah, which was written a few hundred years after Jesus' life, it's the written compilation of the oral tradition. In the English translation of that document, there are roughly about 4,000 words devoted to how to wash your hands correctly. A lot of rules. And so, these religious leaders come up to Jesus and they say, you guys aren't following the rules. You're supposed to wash your hands before you eat. What does this question reveal to us about these religious leaders? From the outset, they appear to be very interested in following the law of God. 
That's what it looks like. These guys are really serious about obeying the law of God. They traveled 90 miles to confront Jesus about a ritual. They're pretty serious. But Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. Look at verse 3. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? I love how so often when Jesus is confronted, He doesn't respond to the confrontation directly, but He asks a question. And here, He asks a masterful question of these religious leaders. He says, essentially, if you care so much about following God's commandments, then why do you use your tradition as a veil, as a smokescreen to avoid obeying the Word of God? Now, if you're one of the scribes and Pharisees and you hear that question from Jesus, you're going to be like, what? I would never do that. What are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean I disobey the Word of God? Jesus gives them an answer. Let's keep reading. Look with me in verse 4. He says, For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. What's going on in these verses? Jesus points them to the fifth commandment. Fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, right? So little kids in the room, you are commanded by God to obey and honor your parents. Adults in the room, you'll notice when you read the scriptures that you, you, the, the commandment to honor your parents continues even after the command to obey passes away into adulthood. You're commanded, older folks in the room, to continue to honor your parents. Now, as your parents age, what's perhaps the best way to show honor to them? What is it? To care for them, to provide for them. There was a time when mom and dad took care of you, you couldn't do anything, and they did everything for you. But now the roles kind of reverse a little bit, don't they? As mom and dad get older and older, you are now caring for them. That's how you honor your father and mother into adulthood. You care for them when they're unable to care for themselves. Just a side note to my PBC family, I have seen many of you do this wonderfully through the years. So many of you have cared so well for your aging moms and dads. You've provided for them. You've given them a home. You've made them meals. You've helped them out with their finances. You've helped them well. That honors the Lord. But Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and He says, you know the Scriptures. You know you're commanded to honor your mom and dad, but you guys made a loophole. Here's what they did. In their tradition, they made a rule that you could call something, the, the Gospel of Mark actually gives a name to it, Corbin, 
literally means dedicated to God, you could say, this is dedicated to God, therefore, I can't give it to you. So, mom's over visiting for lasagna one night, and she says, that looks really good. Could I have a slice? You say, sorry, that's dedicated to God. You can't have any. And the, the extra special loophole for these Pharisees, they had a special rule that allowed you to say, this bank account is dedicated to God. I don't have to give it to Him until I die, but I can't give it to you now. It's like deferred giving. You keep all the control over it while you live, but you claim it for something else. So these Pharisees made up a tradition, a rule, a man-made law that allowed them to get around the commandment to honor their parents. And Jesus says in the middle of verse 6, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Jesus is saying to us, these people appear to be very interested in following God's word, but it's just an act. If they really cared about following God's Word, they would care far more about doing what is absolutely clear, honoring their father and mother and caring for them, than they would care about some hand-washing ritual. And there, I think, we get the definition for hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is pretending to be someone you're not. Hypocrisy is pretending to be someone you're not. Like Frank Abagnale pretending to be an airline pilot or a PhD professor or an attorney or a doctor or whatever else, these Pharisees were pretending to care about God's Word and they really couldn't give a rip. Brother, sister, friend, are you pretending to care about following Jesus? Are you pretending to care about following Jesus? If so, you are in grave danger because hypocrisy is one of the greatest threats to genuine discipleship. You might be wondering, well, why is it really such a big deal? That leads us to our second question I want us to answer this morning from the text, and that is, why is it so dangerous? Why is hypocrisy so dangerous? Years after he claimed his con man days were over, Frank Abagnale Jr. began telling his incredible tale. He co-wrote a book called Catch Me If You Can, which was eventually made into an Oscar-nominated movie by Steven Spielberg, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. If you haven't seen it, it's a really good movie. And the way the book and the movie told the story, Abagnale wasn't trying to hurt anybody. He's just a charming teenager caught up in a high-stakes game, one hijinks after another. Abagnale later said about himself, 
As long as I didn't hurt anyone, people never considered me a real criminal. My victims were big corporations. I was just a kid ripping off the establishment. Maybe that's how you feel about hypocrisy. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's a victimless crime. I mean, what's the big deal? Why does Jesus save His harshest words, His most severe warnings for the hypocrites? Is it really that big of a deal? In our text, Jesus outlines for us four dangers of hypocrisy, four reasons why this really is a big deal. If you're pretending to care about following Jesus, let me warn you of four dangers. The first is that hypocrisy invalidates our worship. It invalidates our worship. You see this in the middle of verse 7. Jesus says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 29 verse 13, where Isaiah the prophet condemns Israelite worship that's in name only. These guys that knew all the words to all the Christian songs or all the Jewish hymns, and they could sing them with gusto. They could raise their hands and clap their hands and dance unto the Lord and be there every Saturday for the Sabbath gathering. They could do all these things. And Jesus says, repeating the prophet, of, prophet Isaiah, your hearts are far from me. Your lips make it look like you're really close, but your heart is far. If you are pretending to care about following Jesus, your worship isn't valid. You are wasting your breath, dear friend, when you sing. Now, why this fear and unbelief has not the Father put to grief? When you sing, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, when you sing, oh, the wonderful cross, and your heart is far from the Lord because you're just pretending. You are wasting your breath. You see what Jesus says, the prophet says, in vain do they worship me. Now, if you're in this room and you're a struggling Christian, I want to speak to you for just a moment. Pretending to care is not the same thing as struggling to care. I want you to hear that. Pretending to care is not the same thing as struggling to care. Some of you, perhaps, are in this room and you're singing those songs, and you're struggling to believe them, but you want to. You're, you're hearing God's Word 
taught or read, and you're struggling to believe it sometimes, but you want to, and you're asking God, help me to mean it. That's not the same thing as a person who doesn't care at all, but does it only to make everybody think that they care. If you're in this room and you're struggling to care, but you want to care, and you're asking God to increase your care, I want to encourage you, you are not a hypocrite. But if you're in this room and you pretend that you don't struggle to care, but you really don't care, you are a hypocrite. And you are in grave danger. If you're in this room and you're pretending to care about following Jesus, you may be able to fool everybody else in this room, but you cannot, be, you cannot fool the only one who matters. Who are you worshiping, friend? Who do we sing the songs to? Is it to be seen or heard by each other or to honor our God? You see why Isaiah and Jesus say you're worshiping in vain You're pretending, and he knows. Hypocrisy invalidates your worship. Number two, hypocrisy impairs your joy. Those of you who know my story know that I spent many years in my late teens and early 20s trapped in hypocrisy. I, I looked great on the outside. Went to church, served at my church, went to seminary, volunteered, I preached God's word, but I was a hypocrite. I was pretending to care. I was pretending to be interested in spiritual things when people were watching, and I was miserable. I think the most miserable person in this room is the person, not the unbeliever, but it's the person who is pretending to be on fire for the Lord while they know in their heart that they are far, far, far from Him. If that's you, you're miserable. I think we see a little glimpse of that misery in Jesus' interaction with the religious elites in our story. Look at verse 10. Jesus called the people to him, so he turns now to the crowd that's gathered, and he says to them, hear and understand. Listen up, everybody. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. If you bite into an apple and you accidentally eat a bite of a worm, you might be personally disgusted, but you're not spiritually defiled. It's not what you put into your body that defiles you. Now, some of you might be on some extreme diets and you say, oh, yes, it will defile you. Well, not in the sense that Jesus is talking about here. This is not talking about some sort of toxin entering into your body. Spiritual defilement isn't an outside job. It's an inside job. It starts inside of you and works its way out. That's what Jesus is saying. He's trying to correct their bad theology. He's saying, listen, guys, clean hearts are infinitely more important than clean hands. 
You think about, even in that, Jesus is showing grace to the Pharisees. He's giving them an opportunity to hear the truth and respond to it, to repent of their hypocrisy, to turn to their God who created them and loves them. But how do they respond? Look at verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, did you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? (laughs) Here Jesus is telling the Pharisees gospel truth that can save their souls from hell, and they're offended. The word offended literally means to be scandalized by something. These religious leaders are absolutely furious. They're outraged. They cannot believe this. You begin to see now why it's these guys that are going to be the ones who put in motion from a human perspective the plan to execute Jesus. They hate Him. As He holds out hope to them, they are miserable. Why? Because that's what hypocrisy does. It makes you a miserable religious person who has no joy in the songs, only pretend joy, who has no real joy in the Scriptures, only pretend joy, who has no real joy in obedience, only pretend joy as long as people see it. Hypocrisy makes you miserable. It impairs your joy. So let me ask you, brother, sister, do you have joy in your walk with Jesus? Do you have real joy? If not, why not? Could part of the problem be hypocrisy in your heart? The third warning that Jesus gives us, hypocrisy also imperils our souls. The disciples are concerned that that the Pharisees are offended. You know, these are the big guys, right? You don't want to offend the Pharisees from Jerusalem. They probably knew a lot of their names. It's Rabbi so-and-so. He's a big teacher. They're bothered that these guys are offended. Jesus is concerned about something else, something far more serious. Look at what he says in verse 13. Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father planted, or that my heavenly Father has not planted, will be rooted up. Think back to the parable of the weeds and the wheat In Matthew 13, I believe Pastor Ryan Bryce from Nanceman River preached that text to us a month or so ago. If you remember the story, there's a farmer with a field, field of wheat, and his enemy comes and he plants weeds in that field. The weeds looked like wheat, but they weren't planted by the farmer. And the workers for the farmer say, should we uproot all the weeds? And the farmer says, no, no, let's wait, because if you try to pull up those weeds, you're going to pull up some of the wheat too. He says, at harvest time, the weeds will be plucked up and burned, and only the wheat will be gathered into the farmer's barn. Look again at what Jesus says. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. You see what Jesus is saying about these Pharisees? Oh, they look like wheat, but my father didn't plant them. And they're going to be uprooted at the day of the harvest, and they're going to be cast into the furnace. 
Hypocrisy imperils your soul. Here's what I'm not saying. I want you to hear me carefully. I'm not saying that anyone who's ever been hypocritical has committed an unpardonable sin and is certainly going to hell. I am saying, if you continue unrepentantly in your hypocrisy, it will lead you to a path that only leads to destruction. If you continue to pretend, and you will not forsake it, even when the Spirit confronts you and speaks to you through His Word and invites you to repent and turn, you will eventually give evidence that you were not planted by the Father. You look like it for a while, but in the end, you were just pretending. And in the end, you will hear those horrible, fearful words from the great judge when he returns. Depart from me, you wicked servant. I never knew you. That's what hypocrisy will do to those who cling to it more than they cling to Christ and those who will not turn away from it. If you're pretending to follow Jesus, your soul is in grave peril, friend. If you're in this room as a Christian who has pockets in your life where there is hypocrisy, uproot it. Put it to death. Don't let it grow. Don't let it fester. One final warning that Jesus gives us about hypocrisy, why it's so dangerous, it impacts our neighbors. It impacts our neighbors. You might feel like your hypocrisy is a victimless victimless crime. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's not wrong. Jesus says otherwise. Look at verse 15. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. These religious leaders who are pretending to follow God are actually spiritually blind. And to make matters worse... They're leading spiritually blind people into a pit. Let me just tell you, brother, sister, friend, religious hypocrisy always has casualties. Religious hypocrisy always has casualties. Some might be affected by your hypocrisy when it's exposed. Others are affected by your hypocrisy as they follow in your hypocritical footsteps. But if you walk a path of hypocrisy, there will be casualties. Maybe it'll be your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, the people who sit beside you in church, the person you've discipled. Religious hypocrisy always has casualties. Some of you might hear that and be tempted to bury your hypocrisy a little bit deeper. Your takeaway might be, I need to work harder to make sure I never get found out. Let me plead with you, Christian, don't do that. Confess. Confess your hypocrisy and allow God to use your confession to help other people see and follow the light. You see why hypocrisy is one of the greatest dangers to genuine discipleship. 
to see why it's such a serious issue. What are we going to do about it? How do we respond to this? We'll find the answer when we answer our final question. The final question that Jesus answers for us about hypocrisy is this. How serious is it? How serious is it? When your doctor orders some sort of a special test, that's the question you ask him, right? How bad is it, doc? Tell me. Cut it to me straight. How bad is it? It's the information that you want to know. Jesus, our great physician, is about to tell us how serious our hypocrisy problem is. And here's a spoiler alert. It's worse than you think. Look at verse 15. Peter said to Jesus, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. Here's what Jesus is saying, Christian, unbeliever. Your greatest problem is not anything out there. Your greatest problem is not your mean neighbor. Your greatest problem isn't your unruly kids. Your greatest problem isn't your frustrating wife or husband. Your greatest problem isn't your money. Your greatest problem isn't your job. Your greatest problem isn't China or Russia or someone in D.C. Your greatest problem isn't some rival that you have in life. Your greatest problem isn't a physical struggle. It's not cancer. It's not death. It's not possibly getting into some sort of an accident. Your greatest problem is not outside of you. It's inside of you. That's what Jesus is saying. The problem is your heart. Who you are on the inside. And what's inside your heart? Notice, it's not just a few minor things. You know, Jesus doesn't say, from within the heart come little white lies. And, you know, petty shoplifting. And running red lights occasionally. What does He say? Outside of your heart. Brother, sister, friend, your heart comes murder. Adultery, sexual immorality, and on and on. And to make matters even worse, not only is your heart a seedbed of all manner of evil, your heart also deceives you. Your heart can say to you right now, oh, you're fine, when you're not fine at all. Listen to Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The answer to that rhetorical question is no one but God.
Your greatest problem, brother, sister, friend, is your heart. The problem of hypocrisy is not some minor problem. It is a problem that penetrates deep into the core of who you are. It's far bigger and far worse than most of us could ever think. Frank Abagnale's greatest con job wasn't impersonating a pilot or a lawyer or a doctor or a professor. His greatest con job wasn't forging checks or fake patents. Frank Abagnale's greatest con job was pretending that he did any of those things. In recent years, after the film Catch Me If You Can was released, Investigative journalists have uncovered the staggering truth that nearly everything Abagnale said he did as a con man was a lie. He never flew Pan Am. He never taught at BYU. He never worked at Cobb General Hospital. He never passed the Louisiana bar exam. He never worked for the FBI. Public records have revealed that most of the time he was allegedly pulling these different hoaxes. He was actually locked up. Here is a con man who has made millions of dollars by pretending to be a con man. One journalist said, I'd say this guy is as phony as a $3 bill. And by the way, kids, those aren't real. But before we cast our stones at Abagnale, we need to look in the mirror, don't we? Am I just another hypocrite pretending to be somebody I'm not? Are you? In what areas in your life are you most prone to hypocrisy? Around which people are you most tempted to pretend? This is quite a depressing conclusion to this sermon if we end here where Jesus ends. But I would invite us to zoom out just a bit and look at the solution to hypocrisy that comes in the hope that Jesus brings. Can I plead with you, brother, sister, friend, the only real response to hypocrisy, the only real solution to it is the gospel. It's the gospel. If you're with us, we, if, you're not, if you're new with us this morning, we often talk about the gospel using uh, three main headings, uh, the truth about God, the truth about man, and, uh, and the truth about Christ, or sometimes we put them in three C's, a creator, curse of sin, and Christ. Knowing the truth about the gospel is the antidote to hypocrisy. Think about it for a second. If you really believe the truth about God, that kills hypocrisy, doesn't it? If you really believe that God is holy, and He exists, and He judges rightly, and He sees all, why would you be hypocritical? Why would you pretend? If you really believe that He's the only judge that really matters, if you really believe that He sees all, including what's going on in your heart, what's the point in pretending? The gospel slays hypocrisy. If you believe the truth about man, it should kill hypocrisy. The gospel truth about man is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
What's the point in pretending that you're better than you really are? We ought to be willing as the people of God to come into this room already believing the worst thing about each other. We come into this room agreeing that we're sinners and our sin is so bad that somebody had to die for us. We ought to put hypocrisy to death. And the truth about Jesus should absolutely kill hypocrisy. Jesus was no pretender, but he died for hypocrites. In the gospel, in what Jesus did on the cross, we know two things that are incredibly life-changing if they really bore down deep into your soul. In the cross, we know that we are fully known and fully loved. You are fully known. Jesus knows how bad your sin is. Your sin is so bad that He had to die for you. He knows. And yet, you're fully loved. He is so great that He was glad to die for you. The gospel and the gospel alone is the antidote to hypocrisy. That's what we're going to remember in just a moment as we celebrate communion. Remembering that our solution to the hypocrisy in our own souls is not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and trying harder, but looking once again to Jesus and finding hope and help and forgiveness in Him. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to stand and sing a little bit together before we take communion. For those of you that have kiddos in PBC Kids, I'm going to ask you when we stand to sing, if you'll go and, and grab your kiddos so we can all take communion together. Let's pray.